Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode was recorded remotely. Welcome to The Ordinary Black Professionals. I'm Nicole. And I'm Stefan. And this week we have a guest on the show. So she works in financial services, she's in compliance, and she's built a strong career for herself. She's a friend of mine and I've known her since 16. So we welcome Latoya to The Ordinary Black Professionals. Welcome Latoya. Hi. Hey. So before we start talking about your career journey and how you got into compliance, it'd be good to understand a little bit more about you. So who, who are you? Who's Latoya? Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer that. I am, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my late 20s. I live in North London with my partner and um, I'm Jamaican and Bayesian and I have a beautiful darling nephew who I dote on all the time and I think that's about me. Nice, nice. So Nicole mentioned that you are in the industry, the compliance industry, right? Is that regulatory compliance? So what, what is that? So I mean, depends on when you ask me, I kind of give a slightly different explanation each time. But generally, I say that it is making sure that my firm and individuals within it are compliant with the financial regulator and any rules and regulations that are in place. So that would be um, the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, who's the financial regulator for my firm um, and for many firms in the city, finance firms in the city, and then also any European regulations that come out also being compliant with those as well. Oh, right. So you do it for your firm. It's like an internal regulatory check or something like that. Yeah. So we consider ourselves to be independent from the rest of the business, you know, a bit like HR, you're not, you know, you're a bit more independent than someone who works in sales or a portfolio manager or someone. But yeah, it's for the business and it's for the individuals within it. So we don't have any clients. What would you say is your job title then? My job title is compliance associate. Okay. What what does that mean Like as a, from a day-to-day point of view? What do you actually do? So I'm in a journalist position, which means that I can get involved with lots of different things. But I also have a focus 
So my focus within the team is signing off financial promotions, which is basically all of our marketing material. So if you've got a client meeting trying to get someone to invest in one of our funds or then I will look at that presentation and sign it off as being compliant, um, you know, with the rules from the FCA. And I also do other things. So I'll get involved in projects. I can name different projects, but you probably won't know the, maybe the only one you would have heard of is Mifid 2 a couple of years ago. Yeah, I've heard oh, yeah. That one. yeah, I know yeah. that one. So I would have been involved in that. You can try that. our knowledge on some others too. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shareholders rights directive. Everyone knows Brexit, so Brexit projects, uh -huh. um, you know, just different things like that. I also sign off like PA deals. So if you want to buy shares in Apple, I have to sign that off for you and give you permission to do it. Um, I'm currently working on the eligible markets review, which is basically if our funds want to, or SEG accounts want to buy securities in Albania. I have to check off the market that's in Albania, I don't know what it's called, and say that it's a good eligible market, you know, it's it's got good liquidity, it trades frequently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what else do I do? So what you're you're mentioning now is like funds, markets. So the type of business that you're working is is like a, a investment bank? So I work for an asset manager. So that means that my company manages money for people. So if you wanted, you could give us some of your money. I mean, you actually can't. We only work with professional investors, but just for this, if you wanted to, you could give us a thousand pounds, for example. And with our funds, that means that your money is pulled together with other people. So I could also put a thousand pounds in, Nico, Nicole can put a thousand pounds in, your mum can put a thousand pounds in and the manager will manage all of your money together and it will buy Apple or buy Vodafone, it will buy... Is that like when I put money into an ISA and, it's, and, and then it says, oh, you're using fund this or whatever and then it puts my money in this fund and then buys off property. Yeah, different, yeah. Different yeah, so you can have funds in your ISA, yeah. So you're, you're, that company that you work for is one of the companies that manages a fund like that? Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So we have funds and then we also have what we call segregated accounts. And that'll be a case of if you have a whole load of money, maybe you've got 20,000, then you can have your own, your own account all by yourself. There'll be no other investors in it. So those are for people who have you know, a lot of money and they don't want to share with other people. Okay. 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 And that all makes a lot more sense now because obviously we've known you for a long time, but that opened up my eyes and exactly what you do. <laughs> part of this is me trying to understand what exactly you do. Yeah, because that, that makes more sense now. So I guess the question is how did you how did you get there? Where did your journey begin? What did you study at uni? So I studied law at uni with the intention of becoming a solicitor. And then that didn't quite happen. <laughs> <laughs> why law? Like why, why, why becoming a solicitor? Um, I'm not really sure. I had planned to study it for maybe like when I was 14, 15. And I never really considered 
anything else to study, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but I don't know, I just had my eyes set on law. Mm. I knew it was like a good career. It paid these, it paid good money. Um, and I think when I was younger, I was just motivated by a career that would pay me well. And law for me was that. And I don't know, I guess there must have been other things that attracted me to it other than money. But, you know, like skills, things, that I guess, aligned with myself. But yeah, because I feel no, like money probably was a main thing. Because I feel like when I met you at 16, so we met at sixth form, you were very clear that you always, that you were going to be a solicitor and you was going to study law. I don't remember you ever saying you wanted to do anything else. Or does yeah. I remember me being a bit more unsure as to what I wanted to do and even what I wanted to do at uni. Is that yeah. because maybe at that age, we say 16, was it? Yeah. Did someone put in your mind that law was going to be um, a business? type of work that will earn you a lot of money I don't know if someone put that in my idea but I think you know law is a profession we all know about and we see it on tv and so I probably just made my assumptions from that and then you know when you say to people oh I'm thinking of studying law and being a solicitor you get the good kind of you know Ooh. affirmations from yeah that, Ooh, that, that will earn you good money exactly yeah people always say that and I Isn't do probably true? remember my mum saying oh what about law that's a good you know, subject kind of thing. So I don't know whether she plays in my head or whether it's just something that I saw, you know, myself, or maybe it's a mixture of two and, you know, slowly little planting these little seeds and it's like, ah, law, I'll study that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But is that true? Is that true that law is a type of uh, industry where you can earn lots of money? Maybe it is, maybe at higher levels. I think Um, it's only if... If you work for like those big magic circle firms, yeah, then yeah, you could be earning loads. You know, if you're on your training contract, you're starting out at like so, 35 to 45. And then when you finish that and become a proper solicitor, a newly qualified solicitor, you're probably earning like 60 plus. And then you can go into, you know, 100K, 110K. If you're at one of those big US firms, then you can like really Simmons be and- earning. So like Simmons and Simmons, is that one of them? Are they US? I'm not sure, actually. When you say US, but we're in the UK. No, but yeah, but so they'll have an office here, but they're like a US firm. Are they doing UK law or US? Yeah, yeah, they're still doing UK law. Yeah, that, that's my understanding of law is that if you're in one, if you're one of those lucky few who gets one of those training contracts become a solicitor, then yes, you're you're very fortunate and you're going to be making the good money. But if you're not, which is the majority of people, um, then it's a much harder up, uphill battle to get a decent salary. So uh, you, everyone has to do a training contract to be a solicitor. It's just the case of what firm you're at. And I think when you're at those bigger firms, that's when you're earning better money, I think. And then when you're at the rest of them, I think your earnings are still good money, but not as good, you know? I guess good relative to perhaps other professions. Yeah. So the training contract, that's the that's the LPC, isn't it? No, it's the LPC, which is a year of full-time study. And then you have the training contract, which is two years of on-the-job working. I think uh... of exams. Let's go back a bit. Did you go from uni to the... LPC? Yeah, I done my law degree and then I followed it with the LPC 
and then I went into compliance. So the LPC is basically more studying around what is it becoming is it more just like the fundamentals of of law yeah I guess it's meant to be more of the practical side of being a solicitor in comparison to your law degree which is I don't know I want to say me more theoretical but I just mean it's just more like I don't know they're just really different I don't know how to explain it one's more like learning about the law in different cases whereas one's more in practice this is what you have to do kind of thing right okay and so when you say in practice do they put you in um like law chambers or something like that or no no it's all classroom based but i don't know for example i done tax as a subject and if you're a tax lawyer then you've got to do all this tax stuff so back when i was doing my lpc you could have spoken to me lots about tax and i could have been able to speak to you about it so doing you know all your accounts balancing the books kind of thing and you know, income tax, all of that kind of stuff. So I guess if you're a tax lawyer, those are those kind of basics that you need to learn kind of thing. And I don't know, what other stuff did I study? But I guess it's just like how to write, how to draft certain things, just so that when you go into it, you have a bit of the basics. Mm. I guess that's it. I mean, there's still loads more to learn on top of what you do on your LPC, but I guess it's meant to be a bit of the basics. It's interesting how you did the three years of law and I guess you graduated and you still thought that you wanted to become a solicitor. You then went on and did your LPC and again when you started it and I think a bit during it you knew you wanted to still be a solicitor. When did the when did the penny drop that you was like actually this isn't for me? I don't think there was a penny drop kind of moment of me deciding that I didn't want to be a solicitor. I, you know, done my law degree, I done the LPC, all with the intention of being a solicitor. And then, you know, applying for training contracts throughout and I didn't really get anything, didn't really get much back from like generally for interviews or anything like that. And then when I finished my LPC in June, I think it was like June, 2014, I had this work, this one week work experience to do in July um, at, a solicitor's firm in Holborn and so I went and done that and then I was on my lunch break one day and I was just finishing up I was eating my lunch in the park and I got up to put my throw my lunch into the bin and this guy comes up to me and it was this guy I used to work with when I was at House of Fraser when I was 16 17 years old in sixth form and he was like one or two years older than me and he studied law at uni as well and he, you know, so we were catching up. He was saying that he was, he was working as a paralegal um, for the government, like a civil servant. I think I want to say like the treasury, but I could be completely wrong. But you know, not too far away in Holborn. He was just walking back from Sainsbury's with his lunch, and I was saying, you know, I just finished at LPC. I don't have a training contract. And I was saying I didn't want to paralegal. I didn't want to paralegal because I think, and everyone, not everyone may agree, but I think that you're not paid as much as being a full solicitor, but you get, you know, it could vary from company to company as to whether you're just like an assistant, basically, a glorified assistant to you're doing the same work as solicitor, but not getting the same pay or respect. And so that's I my understanding. To, yeah, so that's so I just didn't want to be a paralegal. 
and the pay is oh. quite low. I thought it was like 18k low. No, 18, no. 20k. No, you can get better than that. Again, depends with what firm you're in, kind of stuff. But um, I just, I mean, I would have, I would have expected like 25 up kind of thing for a pound. Okay. Okay. So you know, good money still, but not as good as a, if you were a solicitor. So, you know, my plan, so I, it was a bit like, well, you know, what should I do? I don't have a training contract and I don't want a paralegal and it's July now. So I'd finished my training, co- I'd finished my LPC a month prior. So we were just chit chatting and he was saying, oh, why don't you, why don't you consider compliance? One of my friends does it. He's earning even more than me. You know, they like people with the legal background, they earn good money. And so I went back to my office and that I was doing a work experience at and I had a quick Google and I was like, oh, this sounds okay. This sounds interesting enough to me. And so I started applying for jobs in compliance and I just got a lot better feedback from it than when I was applying for training contracts or, Mm. I mean, I applied for a few paralegal jobs, but not properly, but you know, I didn't get anything from that either. And you know, within two months I had a job kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so the plan was, okay, you know, I'll continue applying for training contracts and then that just didn't happen. I didn't apply for anything after that. And it was just like, okay, being a solicitor's out, working in compliance is in. And uh, that's a really good story of how we should talk. Well, this right. is what this is what I firmly believe is that it's always good to talk. Yeah. Because when you're talking and you're communicating or sharing stories, you're giving people advice and tips and I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to explicitly give them advice. I'm giving you advice. Right no, now. no, but, no, no. no that's, what you... I mean. that's what I mean. He didn't do that. He was just saying, oh, this is what I'm doing. Have you heard of this? And my friend yeah. is doing this. And which led to her thinking, you know, outside of the box for her because she never considered that. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, compli- like certain jobs, like what we do, consultants or consulting, compliance, it's not stuff that you hear about when you're growing up. Well, for me anyway, it's not stuff that I heard about. It's not stuff that my parents knew that those sorts of jobs existed. So unless you're talking to people mm. who work in this industry, you're just not going to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So many jobs that I've seen that I didn't know. Obviously, at that age, I would never know, have known they existed. But I probably even at this age would never have known they existed unless I saw them myself, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um. So then you got your first job in compliance and then, so the moment you started working in it, cause I think it was a, was it a contracting job. Yeah, I was quite fortunate. I basically got a call one day and by the end of the day I had a job, but it was a contracting job. It was going to be for a couple of weeks, maybe like, I don't know, six, eight, ten kind of weeks, like not too long, but you know, a foot in the door doing AML. And then I was made permanent from it. And... What, is, what is AML? Oh, sorry, lingo. <laughs> Anti-money <laughs> laundering. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. And what does that what does that mean for you? Like, what did you have to do to anti-money launder? <laughs> so in that, I was, the firm that I was working at needed to, um, I guess, get their client files in line um, and do a refresh, basically. So it was a refresh of like all of their clients was something like 120 clients and basically just get um, information on their on them. So, you know, getting passports, going out to clients to get passports, doing 
background checks on them kind of thing and on the client firm on the a couple of like the directors within the company so that's who i'd be getting the passports from and then just collating that all together basically did you have to do traveling to do that no nope. from my desk okay okay so you know, it'd be a case of i'd look at a file i knew what i needed to request i'd go to someone who dealt with the clients they'd request it from the client they'd give it to the client person client person would give it to me i'd do what i need to file it away okay and what's also interesting it was a contracting position but you had no experience in doing uh, compliance or aml or anything at that point how did that go how how did um how did you secure that role basically i was i was gonna say i'm very lucky but it was one of those interviews where you know sometimes you have these interviews and you've got no experience behind you you're fresh out of uni you know how we've all had them and they want the whole wide world from you they want five yeah. years of experience <laughs> from this new grad and they yeah. want you to have you know had charity work have you in done volunteering all over the world like those kind of foolishnesses they expect from an interview well, basically, my interview for this job was the complete opposite from that. Okay. I had, you know, the two guys who I interviewed with who were like my manager, who were my managers. And basically, they spoke to me for 30 minutes, telling me about the role, about the company, scattered it with maybe one, two, three questions at the most. And that was it. Like, I wouldn't really call it an interview because... They weren't really asking me many questions. It was them doing the talking, I guess, getting an idea from me. And that's it. I guess it's a bit like, is she competent to do the job? Yes. Is she available immediately? Yes. Great. Did you, uh, did you apply for this job or was it something that came to you from a recruiter? It came through a recruiter. Okay. So they weren't really looking for much from you. They maybe, they did know that you were just out of uni and they were just looking for somebody. I guess so, yeah, because I was very fortunate. I remember leaving the interview and calling the recruiter and being like, I didn't really ask any questions. I kind of was just speaking to me about the role. And, but I guess, I mean, I guess that's the thing because the next person who they hired after me, it was basically the same thing. The guy came in um, actually to interview for like an internship role within the finance team. And the deputy finance officer who was interviewing him, when they were chit-chatting throughout the interview, he mentioned that he wanted to work in compliance. And from that, the finance interviewer guy spoke to my manager and was like, oh, I was speaking to, you know, this guy who wants to get into compliance. He's not right for this position, but, you know, maybe you want to give him an internship in your team. And my manager just gave him the job, like a permanent job within the team. I think, really? <laughs> I think they're just like, you know, you've got a good background, like study wise, you know, your head seems screwed on. We'll just give you a chance kind of thing. There's two things there that pop out from what you said. It's the, the fact that you had your company obviously had a culture that was willing to give people a chance. Well, I Even don't know if, if it's a company, but yeah, definitely my manager. Well, those two individuals, yeah. So that individual is happy to give people a chance and to help them grow. And also, secondly, the fact that you use a recruiter, because I always think of rec um, recruiters as something you use when you've got more experience, not something that if you were straight out of education that you would go to use a recruiter as well. 
So I think that's also something like not limiting yourself on how you get jobs as a thinking using Milk Round or LinkedIn or what's the other one like Read or whatever it is or Indeed, mm. but actually signing up to recruitment agencies so they can go and help you get those permanent jobs as well. Well, that's I guess it depends because for me, I would assume that large companies tend to have in-house you know, HR people who just deal with recruitment. Yeah. But when it gets to smaller, um, smaller companies, even medium-sized companies, they don't generally have the time to sit there and post jobs on Indeed and whatever and try and find, you know, employees to work there. So they outsource it, which is, you know, I guess whichever level it is. Mm. I would expect that from compliance that most people I know who started in there probably came up through a recruiter unless they're a big firm who, you know, you can go to their website and be like, they've got a job there. Yeah, that is true. And and you told your recruiter that you were looking for compliance jobs. Yeah, well. yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Okay. And then the other thing I was going to say there is the fact that um, you are obviously a contractor, but you obviously you did something right for them to make you perm. Like you shined, you shined in. Why don't you tell us about way. that? Yeah, how did you shine? How did how did <laughs> what how did you did do that, right to get how that, did that perm job? job? Go, and then how did it turn into perm? And why? Because normally people would say, "Oh, stay a contractor, right?" Oh. To be honest, I think they changed me onto a permanent contract because it was too expensive being a temp as well. <laughs> I think that was one of the main reasons because. And you I were think... contracting for a long time, like it was what a year and a half, if not. No, no. For this role, it was only for like a month and a half. I started mid-September and I was permanent at the start of November. Okay. And they wanted me to go permanent from mid-October. So was it the next job then that you were Yeah, and my next job longer? or current job, that's where, I was per that's where I was contracting for a year and a half. So they made you perm? Yeah. So I stayed there for two years um i guess that kind of company had two sides of the business so i worked on both sides kind of spent a year on either side of the business my final year was on the asset management side of the business which was a good way into asset management and i guess made it easier for my move to my current role which is also in asset management um and then yeah after two years i was ready to leave wanted wanted to try out a different company, see how, see how compliance was somewhere else. You know, people do things differently. So I wanted to try that out. I wanted more money and I began as a contractor as well. The idea of it being a one year contract and then it got extended or I'm not even sure I'd say it got extended. I just stayed there for longer than a year. And then, yeah, I was made permanent. And uh, what's the circumstances of you being made permanent? Did you want that to happen? Yeah, I wanted it to happen. Um, yeah, it was something I wanted at the time. Yeah, it sounds when like you... um, they it's, it's common that they bring in people at contractors. And is that a common yeah. thing? I think AML is often to be contractors. Um, I think this role that I am at the moment where it started off as a contractor, I think we had maybe like two people as contractors before then. And then, um, I don't know, I think they, they, I think they hoped that it possibly become temp to permanent, but 
um you know i i think the, the idea is that they'd go with it and see how it went kind of thing would you become a contractor again yep i'm not opposed to it um i don't know it didn't hugely make a difference to my day-to-day -day work or anything like that i guess it's just you know the payment differences um i didn't hugely like having to deal with the whole money thing and doing my accounts and stuff like that yeah. and i know everyone has this trouble but like my accountants were crap and i know it's finding the best of the worst kind of thing and when i speak to other people it's just like yeah so are my accountants kind of thing but yeah i didn't like having to deal with that and but i don't think it would put me off but i do remember it being annoying at the time yeah Sim I, I had a very similar uh, experience with accountants when you're a contractor and, and that sort of thing. It's uh, <laughs> it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, so was this when you moved to this other company? Was it like a bigger company, and how was it different? So where I had my first job, as I mentioned, it was kind of um, I had two sides of the business. The investment management advisory side i mean the investment yeah the advisory is she consultancy advisory i think that's what you'd call it side of the business which is where i started and kind of worked for a year and then i moved across to asset management so in the consultancy side i, I feel like i'm calling it the wrong name but i'm going to call it the um financial consultancy kind of business advisory side of the business there was maybe like a hundred and 20 people and then on the asset management side there was only 30 people so you know I got the I got the experience of working at a really small company with the 30 people side of the business because they're technically kind of treated as two companies that had merged together but not properly merged up and then where I currently am I guess the difference is that again in the office that I work in there's about 120, 130 people, but, you know, so it's a medium sized company, I'd say, but because we have offices around the world, it feels a bit bigger. It's got that feeling of working for a larger company. So we've got offices in uh, New York, Paris, South Korea, Australia, you know, all over the place. And most of my work is focused on the uk and a few europe european locations um but i have some contact with the other offices mainly the irish office but some of the other offices as well and it just gives you a bit of a feeling of being in a slightly larger organization than you know just the london office that yeah. i am yeah. yeah would you ever work for a bigger company like a company that had 60,000 employees or something like that I'm not opposed to it it just it would make my role different because generally it's a case of the larger the company the more focused your role is oh, okay then, be more specialized yeah and then you know the opposite the yeah smaller the company the more generalist your role is so it's more of a case of what would my focus be and do I really want to focus and be specialized in something because you know does it get boring just basically doing the same thing 
day in day out whereas when mm. you've got a bit more variety from a generous role hopefully it doesn't feel like that or doesn't feel as strongly like that as I imagine it would do if you were focused on one thing day in day out do you have to specialize to move up in the in the in compliance and like get more money or can you remain a generalist and be and still progress you can remain a generalist and still progress it i think it's more about the different kind of firms that you'd be moving to it's probably what i'd say um obviously it helps to say oh yeah i really know this area quite well mm. but you can be a generalist and still know an area quite well or multiple areas quite well so i don't think that really holds you back okay okay um just about your industry is it uh female heavy male heavy um are there lots of black people or what's the demographics it's definitely white male heavy um and you know there's hopes that that will change you know you, you hear a lot about i guess more recently like talk black and or talking about black i'm not sure which one it is i think it's talk black maybe you've probably heard about the 100 interns program i think it's now there's also a 10,000 interns program and you know there's hopes and plans that it will get it will improve and become more diverse but yeah it's definitely a white male dominated industry and how is it working in that kind of industry for you because you're the opposite you're black female so <laughs> yeah. i am yeah um i don't know i i came into i came into it expecting it to be like that kind of thing you know from when i was out of uni looking for my first compliance well I expected it to be like that so it's not necessarily a surprise it's more just I would prefer if it was more representative of the city that we live in and operate in but how do I find it I I don't let it hold me back it's just more a case of I wish there was more of me in the company and in the industry generally mm, I think Stefan and I speak quite a lot about what it's like to work in predominantly white spaces and just how difficult that can be not seeing yourself represented in the company or in senior positions. Do you find it a challenge sometimes in terms of promotions or pay rises? Do you ever feel like the fact that you're a black woman holds you back at all? There's even statistics on women earn less than men this is an industry that's heavily white male uh, dominated so do you feel like that H have you seen that because i don't know what my colleagues are on i wouldn't know whether you was paid. under or overpaid yeah or, i wouldn't yeah. know i can't it's i can't would, really comment on that would you ever ask your colleagues um I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. No, I th th the thing is, you need to know, you need to have someone who's had similar experience to you, you know, same number of years in the industry to be able to 
make a comparison. Exactly. And there isn't someone in my team who is. So I can ask them what they earn, but it's not, it's not necessarily going to be something I can compare my salary with. I'd have to ask them, how much were you earning when you were in my position X years ago? I, it'd have to be more like that. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a thing with um, asking people their salaries, because it is that. Because even if you've had the same years of experience, so like we both got five years or something, the, the specific experience that you've had could be so different. So that means someone can be paid, you know, 10 grand more because they have a specialized knowledge and they bring something special to the table compared to yourself. So sometimes that direct, direct comparison, it, 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 it doesn't quite work. Yeah. But I've, I've, I'm trying more to get into the habit of asking my peers, either inside or outside of my company, what they earn. Because I'm finding that it, it's a good indicator of whether I'm like on the salary that I should be. Yeah, and I guess also when you get when you speak to recruiters or I don't know if you get it in consulting, but sometimes like recruiters will send you their annual salary report of you know what an average earning should be kind of thing. And I've received can, that before. Yeah. Have you received that? Oh, yeah. I've never gotten that before. Yeah, and I guess from that you can try and get an idea of if you went out to the market, this is what you could hopefully get and therefore compare it to what you're currently earning. Yeah. Okay, oh, I didn't know things like that. Yeah. Do you find um, salary on things like Glassdoor? Um, is there representation of that industry on Glassdoor? I don't think so. It's not really something that I use. Okay. Yeah, because... The thing is, the thing is that I like Glassdoor because you can see reviews and stuff and they give you the salaries. Yeah. But it can be so off the mark sometimes. Do you not find like it can be so heavily, yeah, heavily skewed numbers. to the highest salaries? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I look at the companies that I've worked in and I look at what the salaries is on Glassdoor and it's like, that's just not accurate. It's either too high or too low. It's not quite right or, or or the or what they give they might say consultant and the band is anything from like 40 to 80 so it's like so wide it, it's not a it's not like easy to compare yourself against so I guess the next kind of follow-on question from that is what do people earn in compliance like what's the rough indication and is it a career where you know, you have certain careers where the highest you can ever earn is 50K and that's like the absolute max and you can't earn more than that. Is it is that the sort of, is that what compliance is or is there really no max? You can go up and earn 100K or 150K if you want to. Yeah, I'd say that if you're like an entry-roll position in London, I can only speak about London, I'd say you could probably be earning... And again, in finance, because that's where I am, <laughs> you could probably earn like, I don't know, 25 to 35, maybe as an entry role, maybe. Yeah, I'd probably say about that. 35 probably been quite good for an entry role. Um, and I'd say, you know, when you've got a bit more experience under your belt, you could probably be going, I don't know, maybe 45 to 
85 which is I know a big range but I guess it's more about your experience and I guess you know number of years experience and if you're moving around Mm. then you can command more money isn't it than when you're just staying in one place and only getting a couple thousand as a as a pay rise as a pay rise and then that's so true yeah and then I'd say if you're like a head of compliance particularly if you're a senior manager and often when you're in compliance and you're a head of compliance senior manager position it means that you're taking on personal risks because for like the F- the FCA could turn around and say you failed in your duty as a compliance manager as a compliance officer a senior manager a compliance officer we're going to personally fine you x amount of money kind of thing and so wow. it tends to be that you that's why you tend to find that compliance is as a head of compliance in a senior manager position particularly it's fairly well paid because you're taking on that personal risk and responsibility in that role so you need to be compensated for it so okay. you know it also shouldn't be a role you just take on lightly, lightly because if it goes wrong if you're not doing your job properly if you're not properly overseeing people you know you could be fined million hundreds of thousands tens of thousands kind of thing like so you know with that and that's also you know if it's really bad who knows you could be going to jail <laughs> but you know, definitely right. the personal um, I didn't know it was I didn't, yeah I didn't realize there was so much personal liability so then what there's two questions I've got from that firstly what kind of salary are we talking there I'm assuming that's going to be something around the 100k mark if not yeah, more I'd expect if you were ahead of compliance you're probably on I don't really know 120 I'm going to give a really big range but like 120 to 200 that's assuming you're like the senior manager person who's got that personal liability on um, if you don't have that personal liability, then it could be less. But and again, depends what size of the firm you are and mm. lots of different things. But definitely, if you've got that personal responsibility, you should be on 120 plus. Okay, so that's like a well, very good salary. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a that's a very good salary. But the risk is crazy. yeah, I don't I think I would want to take that risk. But yeah. I guess it's not a huge risk if you're doing your job effectively. And if your friend listens it... to you and you give advice, and well, if you think, take on it's... that job and you get there and they're not listening to you and, you know, you're trying to change things and they're not willing to change, you know, make sure you send those emails where it's written down. <laughs> and but, it's you not just, <laughs> but it's not just you, though. You're relying on other people mm. to do yeah, their but so, jobs correctly. Yeah, but so you're effectively managing, which is what you're meant to do as a manager anyway, even without the personal liability on your head. Yeah, yeah, but that you could because of the risk over your head, um, you could quite easily micromanage and be ch- checking everything, and you know what I mean. So basically, last year we had these rules that came in for asset managers, but the finance industry generally. But for us, it came in last year for financial asset management kind of firms, and it's called the Senior Managers Certification Regime. I don't know if you've heard of that one one of the projects no no and basically after the recession they found that the fca found that they couldn't really hold people responsible for you know the bad things that happened and they'd point the finger all over the place they just didn't really have 
the ability to hold anyone accountable and therefore to find people you know or attempt to send people to prison if it was really bad kind of thing and so they introduced this regime it came into like banks maybe like a year or two prior to that so it's like industry-wide now but the idea is that you designate certain people within the firm as senior managers and they have to be they have to hold responsibility for like different teams without the with, sorry within the firm so for example you know like the compliance officer in my firm the head of compliance he will hold the responsibility for the compliance team but you know someone else you know employee a who's a senior manager he may hold it for the sales team and for the fund managers and the research team and basically if something goes wrong the fca points their finger at you so that they have someone to appoint to and the point of that is it's meant to it's going to make you take responsibility and make sure that you're you know the people under you the people who are actually doing the role are doing it properly and you have to you know you can't be saying oh but i didn't know about it mm. you know it was them who was doing it not me even though i'm the manager like no you have to take personal responsibility you need to make sure you're managing your teams effectively you need to make sure that all the rules are being complied with and you can't wiggle your way out of it by saying i don't know kind of thing yeah it, it gives you it, you're far more accountable for what happens in the company than you would be if you didn't have that personal kind of risk there yeah definitely so is that something you would do like would you want to have that type of role do you see yourself there in the future yeah um i don't know if i see myself there in the future but probably a couple years ago i would have thought to myself no i'd never want to have that kind of responsibility on my shoulders but you know now that i've been working from you know a longer period of time and see how things work and stuff like one I think I imagine that things have to be so bad before you get a fine kind of thing so hopefully you can try and dodge it by things not being so bad but also if you're effective at your job you shouldn't get a fine so I think the risk is only there if you're not doing your job properly like obviously things can go wrong i'm not saying mm. that but on the whole as long as you're doing your job properly and you make sure you're making sure that people under you are doing their jobs properly then i don't think it's as big of a risk as i probably thought it is although it is a big risk because as i explained kind of thing but yeah so would you so so it should be something that rarely ever happens happens yeah exactly. but something that you need to consider exactly, if you're taking yeah. that role so would you be open to having a role where you forgetting the risk side of things but like is your aspiration to get up to be that senior like compliance person officer we've called it but would you like would you want to be earning that 120k one day is that I where you see yourself 120k i don't know if i want to be a compliance manager to do it um i don't know i don't know if that whole rising up the career ladder kind of thing dealing with all that politics is necessarily something i want to do yeah no fair you just gotta go through your career journey and uh take it as it comes really but do you think that's how yeah. people do it because i feel like i think so 
Well, there's some people that I know, me and Seth were talking about this the other day, there's some people that, that we both know who are just like chomping at the bit. They're always like going for it, going for it, hard, hard, hard. No matter what project they're on, they're like 100 miles per hour. And I just yeah. think people like that, they know in their mind that by the time they're 40, they want to be an MD or a senior consultant at, um, sorry, a senior manager at a, consulting, at a consulting firm earning 100K. Like they are just, their aspirations are already thinking so far ahead. Oh yeah, definitely. I'd say, Whereas I'd I feel like- of both. There's some people who are like that. And then there's others who are a bit like, yeah, I want to progress and I want to climb the ladder, but I don't necessarily want to be the top dog on the ladder yeah I I agree but I think the people who are who get up to those um higher salaries you know earning the the 80 90 100k mark they have planned their career I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think so I think a lot of them probably took it as it came mm-hmm. like for example Latoya gave the example of when she was um, doing law and the guy told her about compliance and she just took that moment and here she is in compliance. What's going to happen next? Somebody else comes up to her in the park and tells her about something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but those, those people, for so for example, if you knew that you wanted to earn 90K by the time you were 35, you're not going to, st- even if you love the job, love that particular company you're not going to stay in that company for five years because as you said Latoya you're going to have those small pay rises you're going to be jump 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 jumping so you can get at 35 you know the 90k and just a caveat earning you know 50k and above is is not I mean these are high these are highest these are high salaries in the grand scheme of things but you're um to get those big 10 grand kind of pay jumps, and again, 10 grand is a pay jump is huge, but mm. to get those kind of pay jumps, you have to move company. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you are if you already know when you graduate uni, I want to be earning X amount, you have to jump around. I mean, there was someone at my company, he said to me that, he said to me, oh, but well, we could easily earn 100K by the time we're 40. And I was like, we? <laughs> but maybe that's you. <laughs> But, um, you know, because he's younger than me. And I was like, well, I haven't got that many years until I've got that many years until I'm 40. Not that <laughs> be, well, it's not that. But you think of the jumps you have to make to yeah. get up there. So I Life think he's planning before. it out. Yeah. Life happens. So you can plan out all you like, but that doesn't mean it's going to go down as your plan says, you know? Yeah, I think 2020 is definitely has proven that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah, but you can definitely do all you can, you know. You can, yeah. you can try and move your way up the ladder quickly and stuff like that. And there's nothing yeah. wrong in that. No. No. I mean, they're the ones who are doing well buying their Mercedes and big mansion houses because they're on 100K. Yeah, yeah. buying well, a maybe, Tesla. Well, maybe yeah. they're just on 30K and they just... Uh, you know, put it all on finance. Put it, on finance and <laughs> put it all on credit cards. And not save the penny in their bank account. So, you know, you never yeah, know. That too. Yeah, don't watch social media too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do you have any regrets not pursuing law? Like, or do you have any friends who are still who are solicitors and you think, oh, must be nice? Wish I was doing that. through life with regrets especially maybe if I felt like I missed out on something then yes but I'm in a good 
I'm in a good job, good, I think earning good money. So I definitely don't regret not doing it. And I don't regret, you know, taking those steps towards it. But yeah, I guess the other day I was on LinkedIn and I saw someone who I studied with at uni and he's a trainee at a law firm. I thought, oh my God, that's really amazing for him kind of thing. Like, you know, had I continued, that could be me kind of thing. But Mm. I don't see it as a great, more just like, you know, different steps and we could have been on the same path kind of thing rather than on slightly different paths. It does. It's it's interesting how, um, yeah, how just people can go on those different avenues and different roads. Just going, just going back to what you said around there not being that many black people in compliance. Why do you think that's the case? I think I said there's not. It's a male, white, male-dominated industry, finance. I don't think I could talk to whether there's many black people in compliance just because I don't like I've only worked at two firms kind of thing and in my last firm there was a mixed race person in my team um in this firm there isn't but my team's also really small you know in my last firm there was max four of us in our team and in here in my current firm I don't know, maybe you'd say there's four of us and there's legal who work alongside us. So not including legal, just compliance. Like I couldn't say for compliance alone. I can only speak to the industry wide, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So why do I think is doesn't have many black people in? I really don't know. I don't know if, you know, I don't want, I don't like to say it's a case of black people don't want to work in finance. I don't believe that. I think there's lots of people who do. I just don't think they get the opportunity. Um, But maybe, you know, maybe it's a balance of things. Maybe there's black people who want to get into finance and don't get the opportunity. And also there's not enough black people who want to get into finance or know about it as a career or understand the you know the tens of or hundreds of roles that actually come within finance that you know is open to them to work in because they're just not aware they haven't been taught and you know a lot of people say oh finance but no one you know it'd be hard to find an 18 year old a 19 year old a 16 year old who actually really knows what that means they can say banks but there's more to it like asset management like wealth management like hedge funds like there's so much more to it than just banks which is what people probably think of when they think of finance and I just imagine that there's loads of black people who do not understand that and therefore do not consider it as as a career option for them so I think there's work to do with educating as well as you know changing hiring practices so that those who do want to get into finance or are applying at the moment actually do get a foot in the door Mm. i couldn't agree more that is very very true um i see hedge funds mentioned sometimes on linkedin and things like that i see asset management mentioned but until today i still didn't understand what asset management was now i understand yeah but then it's also the case of like why not why would you but 
you don't get you just don't know this stuff like when you're in when you're in high school and they're like you know you do um work experience no one's going in there actually explain to you the different types of jobs but yet still the teachers want you to know where you want to do your work experience but you don't even know what's out there to pick from so you just pick the obvious things that you know about mm -hmm. and then again when you move into sixth form or college again your, your experience and what you know is very limited unless you have a circle of friends or your parents know people who are in lots of different <laughs> random industries you really know what you know and then the same thing just goes on and on and on so then when you end up being in university and you leave it's only when you end up just falling into a job do you realize that this particular type of thing exists so it's the not exactly what I said like not having the maybe not even yeah hearing financial services and just thinking of accounting or I don't know yeah working in a yeah. high street bank but not actually thinking about anything else or investment banker not necessarily thinking that you can have a job where you're a wealth manager managing people's money or doing what Latoya does or it's such a varied yeah um, industry yeah. if I think about it's, finance I'm thinking about either working in the high street bank or working in the head office of that same high street bank or uh, investment banker because that's the word that everybody repeats all the time yeah whether they understand it or not you know um and stockbroker yeah or maybe like insurance or something like that but that's as oh, far yeah. as i ever think um I, I still to this day don't understand what a hedge fund is yeah it's like I feel like I should be able to answer this because I looked it up a couple of months ago so that I could actually understand it myself. No, so no pressure going, to give a response. I'm not going to attempt to answer it, <laughs> but maybe I'll Google it again after this. <laughs> it's interesting. It's like at the moment I'm doing some work, um, looking at some diff different privacy office offices. And up until this day, I had absolutely no idea until recently what exactly a privacy office is. And it's where people will make sure that either their current company or the clients that they deal with are adhering to different regulations. So GDPR or um, like privacy laws that, um, that, that exist in different countries. And I was speaking to a colleague at work about it this week and I said to her, this is such a random it's not it's a random job like who would know that there are people who work in teams who make sure that companies abide by privacy laws like who would even think that even exists but it's a job well, it's that, that, that i've heard pays very very well yeah. <laughs> and and uh, i don't think you know most people would even know what that is but it's, it's a very well-paid industry it's just it sounds like another type of compliance but that is yeah, yeah it is compliance and Latoya is more financial compliance sounds yeah. like so I know there's definitely lots of different types of compliance because even my dad kind of works in an area that is also called compliance but it's in the IT industry and it's about making sure that um like the firm that he works in they have the right I don't know contracts to be able to like, I, I don't know if you understand, like Bloomberg, like if you work for, if you use Bloomberg and you've got to have the right contract so that people aren't, you know, sharing out their passwords and because you can get fined for that kind of thing. Like, but he right. would do that, oh, okay. but that's a type of compliance as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, it's information security. Yeah. So the work that I'm, 
I'm doing at the moment is if it some of it focuses on that stuff, like making sure people know how to manage either their own personal data or other people's personal data. Mm. So it's not getting shared inappropriately or you know it goes into the full hand um, wrong hands. And I do technology implementations and sometimes I have to work with the security team who are another form of compliance because they have to um, uh, regulate that I, whatever I'm implementing or technology that I'm putting in place is security compliant to their standard or whatever to, to what they're looking for. And only when it ticks all their boxes will I be able to go into production and, and to, the, to the public, to the customers. Yeah. I have to say it's good to I think this is a general rule with people when you and your friendship groups you talk and talk and talk about all sorts of different stuff but very rarely do you speak about what you actually do and I remember the toy we were I think we was in Byron this was obviously before COVID maybe it was last year sometime and I was like what do you actually do because <laughs> I don't know what you do and and I remember we were Stefan and I was out of his family and one of his cousins said what is it that everyone does because we mentioned like consulting or we mentioned this we mentioned that but she's like I have absolutely no idea what any of you here do I think sometimes it is good just to sit down and talk about but what do you do like, what is your actual job because that's another way that you can grow your knowledge and understanding of what what roles out like exist out there and then you can go and let you know your cousins know or the black people that you know coming up and start going off to uni or about to leave um about to leave uni you can give them an idea of the jobs out there that exist because many times when we speak to our family member staff we we will talk about what consulting is and this is an industry that pays well so and the work is diverse and it's kind and it's relative you know it's interesting this is something that you should explore mm. as opposed to people going down routes that are the, maybe sometimes the obvious ones that may or may not pay as well yeah. yeah and I guess it's just a case of you know because I work in compliance you two work in consulting you know my sister works in like innovation like perhaps our generation hopefully will understand different roles out there and would hopefully teach younger people the less traditional routes the you know the non-legal non being an accountant you know those you know you've yeah. got the traditional routes and you've got the less traditional jobs and I guess it's about teaching people about those non-traditional jobs and we hopefully know a few people in the non-traditional jobs that we can share that kind of wisdom mm, yeah. I agree I agree and how to then navigate when you get into those jobs as well so you can you know ask for the salaries that you deserve and get the promotions and all that other stuff yeah one thing i want to talk about is um, qualifications uh, your law degree stead you uh, put you in a good position to uh, work into compliance but what else do you need to work into compliance to work in compliance i mean you don't even need a law degree to work in compliance there's people in my team who has other degrees I think one of them has like an IT kind of degree I want to say oh really I always thought you needed a legal background mm -hmm. no there's like a lot of people have legal backgrounds but not all um, yeah, okay. I think another one of my team had more of a maybe he studied more like financy kind of stuff I want to say um, I can't say all of this like with confidence but I definitely know there's people in my team who don't have a legal background um 
so another one of my team done like business and accounting or something like that that kind of stuff at uni so you know i guess it's some it's just how you get into the industry isn't it um as to whether as to so there's no there's nothing that hinders i don't think maybe i think having a legal background just gives you maybe a little bit of an um, don't think you're hindered by not having it and then um, like professional exams like I have the Chartered Institute of Securities and Investing which is CISI um, investment compliance diploma which I done when I first started in compliance and it had like three or four exams so I done that and lots of people have that and then the other other professional exam that people tend to have as well would be the IMC and that stands for something management certificates maybe international or investment management no it must be investment management certificate so a lot of people have that as well I think that's more um, generic to do with finance so you'll find lots of people in finance will have that how long does it take to do these um, so I done my exam in a year or less than a year. I think it was less than a year. I think I done it in about eight or nine months because I basically just done it back to back and was like, basically when I started, there's four exams. So the last, the final exam only happens twice a year, June and December. So when I started doing all of my exams in June, or yeah, it must have been about June, May, June. I was a bit like, I either need to be really quick to get through them so that I can start, you know, work on my final exam this year, or I'd have to wait until next year in the June sitting to do it. And right. so I just done three exams within the space of like three or four months. So that in September, ahead of that December exam, because it was quite a big one, like a three hour written exam, whereas the rest were multiple choice. So I just had to make sure that I was ready by September. And I literally kind of just got myself onto, there was like an in-person course you could do. And I basically just about got myself onto that in-person course to be able to start that in September ahead of the exam in December. So, you know, it's one of those things you can do it as quick or slow as you want to, but I just chose to do it quickly. And, you know, I'd book my exam in and I'd say, okay, for the next three, four weeks, whatever, you're just going to sit and study for this exam and I just kept doing it back to back like that rather than wasting time with breaks in between but obviously it could be as long as you want it to eat as well mm. so you had a plan and you basically was like I'm gonna bang it out yeah because I think also I guess it hadn't been that long it'd been like a year at that point since I'd finished my LPC but you know I, I just wanted to be done I didn't really want to be doing more of this studying kind of stuff I'd done the three-year degree, I'd done the one-year LPC, and now I was having to do professional exams, like it was never-ending. Yeah. And you know, at that point, like, when you kind of got to the end, you were done with studying. Mm, I agree. And the thing is, when you have a break as well, you forget how, like, dry studying is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can imagine now studying for, I could have done a few kind of qualifications here and there but I couldn't imagine now studying for a proper mm. exam not at all yeah definitely. wouldn't enjoy it 
but yeah that that's good that's good that you um that you got that done I remember when you were studying for that but then not everyone has that um in my team where I currently am I'm the only one who's got the CISI um, investment compliance exam and that's just because in my last job my manager had done it because the person who was his manager had said to him you have to do this and so he was like to me you have to do it obviously he gave me the option it was nice but it was like it's it's good for your cv like do it the company's gonna pay for it kind of thing yeah um so yeah, in my team at the moment where there's i don't know four or five of us who's doing compliance i'm doing on with that and only again one other person has the imc so right that's the thing and these they're never gonna hurt are they like have, no one's gonna be like oh you've got too many qualifications i don't want to hire you like it's always gonna be another like extra beast exactly and it's just something to have on your CV. And when you're at an interview, you have and, you know, hopefully again, it just puts you in good standing. It shows that you're, I don't know, committed to the compliance career. And, you know, one time I had a, um, um, one of those manager talks that you have, <laughs> those, um, you know, oh, um, like your yearly kind of, review. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, my manager's a bit like, oh yeah, you know, maybe you can do one of those, professional exams as like a next step and I'm like yeah I've already got that I'd done it like four years ago kind of thing and but it, you know it's something that you can say you at least have once you've done it doesn't you know it doesn't take that long to do but do it have it under your belt and I don't know I think it just looks good if nothing yeah. else yeah I agree yeah I agree um I think final question is do you enjoy working in compliance um it's got its highs and its lows probably like any job there's moments where i'm like oh my god and then there's other times where i'm like oh yeah that was really interesting um so it really depends i don't hate my job and i don't hate my job i um like You're in the it, middle like it <laughs> <laughs> That answers I the question. I, I didn't ask if you like it or not. So. Asked me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got the highs and lows. And as you said, as as of any job as well. Yeah. I don't think you're ever going to find a job that you love or like every single day of the week. And I think sometimes you're just going to be a bit realistic in life that sometimes it's about the money. That's why we generally get out of bed in the morning, isn't it? If we all won the lottery and got 10 million tomorrow, how many of us would be turning up to work on Monday? That's a good I know question. I wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact I would not be. Thank you, Latoya, for sh uh, sharing your experience on compliance and talking about your path and your route that you went through. I think that's going to be really useful to a lot of people who have never heard of this industry. Definitely been useful to me because I now understand about asset management a bit more. I actually thought it was about assets as in physical things but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now i understand it a lot more and um yeah just thank you so much no thanks for having me we'll end it there and we'll catch us next week bye guys bye bye if you have any questions or dilemmas email us on ordinaryblackprofessionals at gmail.com or we can be found on instagram and twitter at ordinaryblackprofessionals 
Also, don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and leave a rating and comment. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.